Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And today we're going to be talking about U.S.-China-Africa relations because if you follow China-Africa relations, you'll notice that on the Google Alerts, all everybody is talking about now is this upcoming summit that's happening in Washington D.C. this week. All week. Uh, 50 African heads of state have been invited. We'll tell you why 54 are not coming. Three African heads of state are actually not going to be coming because of the ongoing Ebola crisis. But this is the first time that an American president has done one of these grand summits, much like what the Japanese have done, what the Chinese have done, what the French have done with their Francophone summits, and bringing all of these African leaders to Washington for the first time for to discuss U.S.-Africa relations. Now, the reason why we're talking about this on this show, the China in Africa podcast, is because overarching all of this and in the backgrounds in kind of haunting this summit is China. And uh, all the comparisons have been made to FOCAC. People have been talking about, you know, will the United States be able to compete with the Chinese? And in some ways, a lot of people are looking at this summit as America and Washington and Obama's last best chance to catch up with the Chinese in Africa. So, Kobus, uh, there's a lot at stake for, for, for Obama in this, and there's a lot at stake for the United States in this. And a lot of the reading that we've been following on our Facebook page all week, as well as in the news, is about whether or not the United States can get it right and the United States can actually get its act together to engage in Africa, in part because when we look at American foreign policy over the past six or seven years of the Obama administration, Africa certainly has not been a priority. And so I wonder, is the expectation in South Africa, particularly in the media that you follow there, one that people are expecting a lot? Or are they going just because, you know, there's going to be some great shrimp, great chicken, lots of good parties, <laughs> and but they're at the end of the day, you know, they know where their bread is buttered and their bread is buttered in, uh, in Beijing. The focus in South Africa has, has, has there's been some interest um, in the fact that that Robert Mugabe was snubbed um, and was not very very pointedly not invited to the summit, um, and then also uh, you know there there is an interest I think in in what could possibly come out of this, especially from the uh, the Power Africa um, you know announcement that happened two years ago um, that you know that the US will contribute to electrification in Africa. Um, but I think it's the interest is a little bit muted um, because I think there is a there's a strong awareness that that Africa's bread is buttered on the Chinese side at the moment, um, and also I think there is a little bit of worry um, in Africa about whether economic growth is really the main priority here or whether the U.S. is more interested in security, um, and that security tends to then function as a kind of a backdoor to to securitization, you know, kind of, and I mean, obviously, the U.S. the U.S. Army is is very prominent in in Africa at the moment. So I think you know that that seems to be some of the issues kind of underlying the African response to it. Like, how have you seen it being kind of viewed in 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 Asia? Uh, not at all. Uh, in fact, this uh -huh. is a non-issue at all. And in fact, yeah. even looking at the Chinese press, uh, I read both in English and in Chinese, uh, it's a non-story. So they're not paying attention to it at all. Uh, it, it's not even, I mean, it's amazing. It's not even on the radar. Uh, so this is a story that is just coming up into the U.S. press quite a bit. So it's made uh, prominent coverage in the Washington Post and the New York Times. Uh, Voice of America has been doing a lot, which is not surprising given that it's the government broadcasting arm. So you've seen a lot of coverage in the kind of so-called mainstream U.S 
U.S. media, uh, particularly in the kind of foreign policy uh, areas there. But let's talk about some of the different focus that's going to happen at this meeting. One is going to be security. And Voice of America published an article this week, which I thought was interesting, talking about the difference between uh, a, the, the Chinese focus in Africa and the American focus. And the Americans clearly are focusing on security. None more so now uh, than with the events that are going on in Israel and with Hamas. And that pulls Egypt. And so all of a sudden you see North Africa becoming very much the focus of American AFRICOM and security operations. Uh, on the continent. So that's going to be a very big topic of discussion. Secondly, aid is still a very big discussion topic for, for the Americans. Uh, over you know billions of dollars, I don't even know the exact amount. I know it was a billion into Congo alone uh, coming from the U.S. and USAID and various other uh, PEPFAR programs and whatnot. So, so aid's going to play a very, very strong uh, theme. And then third is going to be business. And on this business side, I think this is going to be the one that's interesting to watch. So the head of major American corporations from Ford to Coca-Cola will be there. And when we think about this summit, Cobus, a lot of people think about the summit itself and the meetings that are going to happen between the White House, the State Department, and these various delegations. What's interesting is that a lot of the activity is actually going to go around, go on around Washington, various parties that are going to happen. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is going to be holding events for, I think it's Good Luck Jonathan uh, in Nigeria. And, uh, and so there's going to be a lot of uh, private sector events that are going to happen. And that may be where the real magic of this summit happens and not actually in the official corridors of power. One very interesting thing that I wanted to get your feedback on, and again, everything that we're talking about stands in contrast to the way the Chinese do business. One of the highlights of the Chinese diplomacy style, diplomatic style, is the amount of attention that very, very senior Chinese officials, all the way up to the prime minister and the president, will actually afford to small countries in Africa. So if the president or prime minister of a country like Togo or Liberia or, or, or Ghana wants to meet with the president over the course of the relationship in within one or two years, there will be a high-ranking meeting. It's always very interesting. What I found so surprising at this upcoming summit is that Obama will not have any one-on-one -on -one meetings with any of the different leaders and heads of state because the United States says they want to treat all of African leaders equally and don't want to show favorites. To me, that comes off as a very big no-no because you know what? At the end of the day, Jacob Zuma and Good Luck Jonathan are big, powerful leaders in Africa. And that's just what you get when you get to run big economies. How do you think that's going to go down with some of these bigger, uh, these bigger leaders? It has the unfortunate echo of this the stereotype of that that in, in that's very strong in Africa that Americans can't tell any African countries apart, um, and that that you know kind of that Americans keep talking about Africa as one country instead of you know many different complicated countries. Um, so you know it does it, it you know kind of it, it kind of it leads to this kind of knee jerk cynical reaction in Africa. I think um, it's also yeah I completely agree that. You know, it's, it's very different being the president of Nigeria and being the president of Benin. You know, it's um, Nigeria has a lot of very big issues and potential deals and so on to discuss. Um, and I would have thought that making space for for some of the biggest economic players um, would have made sense. You know, kind of the White House tended to 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 
explain this in terms of logistics and saying that it wouldn't really have made sense to, to arrange these five to ten minute meetings with all of these leaders with Obama and it would have exhausted Obama and would not have led to anything. But at the same time, you know, kind of I think having more substantive meetings with 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 a few of the biggest players might well have led to something substantive. Um, yeah, I, I was I was also a little bit taken aback that they're not actually you know kind of including that. I mean, it's just going to be weird that imagine if you're, again, Jacob Zuma or good luck, Jonathan, and you're sitting in the same, you're, you know, you know, I don't know how they're assigning these groups together. But, you know, if you if they everybody who's got the number five must show up at three o'clock and have their meeting with the president. And all of a sudden you've got 10 leaders and here's, you know, good luck, Jonathan, sitting with the, the president of Benin. I just feel like that's weird because. How are you? I mean, what do you say that's substantive in those kind of conversations? Because the needs and the issues are so different from Benin to to Nigeria. Um, so yeah, it just seems weird to me how they're doing it. But again, we're looking at this in the contrast of how the Chinese do it, and that's a, again a, one of the high, major, major stark contrasts between the, the the Chinese diplomatic style and the American diplomatic style. Another one is is this you know what the, the U.S. is trying to do is downplay. Uh, a couple key factors here. Number one, they're saying this is not going to be a donor conference. And that's been what a lot of people uh, in the past in Washington assume and make the association that African leaders or African heads of state uh, and, and even African diplomatic delegations come to Washington. They come with cap in hand. Money gets sent out. That's not going to be what this is all about. The White House is really trying to push that and say it's not going to be about that. At the same time, they're also trying to downplay the fact that they're not going to have one of these big, giant, Chinese-style announcements at the end that says there's $20 billion programs are going to be signed in aid and development and, and investment. They're really trying to play that down. In fact, the amount that's, uh, that's rumored to be done in terms of total investment in deals is $900 million. Now, Cobus, when you hear that number, $900 million, it's pathetically small compared to the Chinese. It's it's a yes. decent amount of money by any standard. But in this day and age, I mean, the Japanese are, are coming up with these big announcements. I think it was seven or eight billion out of the the TCAD summit. Uh, the French and theirs and their summits are coming up with these rather large, impressive numbers. So it does seem to be a characteristic of African summits to come out at the end with a, you know, the balloons, the confetti, and a, what's the number going to be? Uh, you know. And it just seems, again, that the Americans are going against the grain. And I wonder if African leaders have become accustomed to these summits and expecting big numbers at the end. And if there's not, well, maybe it's not that important. Yes, I mean, you know, the, the White House seems to be discussing this in terms of building relationships and, and kind of like discussing the future and getting on the same page. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of whether the, the absence of a big number facilitates that or hampers it. Um, and I don't really have any real kind of clue to which which of those it would be. Um, for me, the, the, the big elephant in the room about the summit is security. Um, you know, because the U.S. tends to frequently link uh, link development and security and they tend to to there's there seems to be an assumption in Washington thinking that that you know you can only really get development once peace has been established whereas I think from a from an African perspective there's frequently it, it, it's they kind of flip that logic around saying the reason you don't have peace is because there's no development um, you know so 
I was wondering whether there is whether you think there is maneuverability in the U.S. position to take to you know kind of to to actually be a bit more flexible about this about about where in this in in the logic of development peace and peace building fits in. Well, or whether there is just such a kind of knee jerk one you know kind of one solution kind of idea that you need to to do peace building first and then. Well, I and think that, that kind of logic. Let's step back a little bit and kind of take a look at the American political system to understand why military oftentimes gets pushed to the front of the agenda. So let's take a... You talked about the Power Africa deal. Uh, that was a $7 billion electrification program that Obama announced at his last uh, tour of Africa. I think it was two years ago, as you said. Now, everybody got very excited. $7 billion. Wow, they're going to electrify big parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Lots of excitement on the continent. Lots of excitement in Washington. Like, finally, we're getting in the game. Take that, China. Um, well, that is stuck right now in, uh, in the process between the House and the Senate. And the Senate has not actually approved the $7 billion plan. And it's really one of the key differentiating factors between the Chinese and the, the Americans. When the Chinese come, they bring their checkbook. You know, there's you know, probably you know, 30, 45 days that money starts flowing very, very fast. It's one of the highlights of the Chinese system is that it is extraordinarily efficient at delivering, uh, you know, the, the capital, the projects, the political process, you know, everything lines up very, very neatly at these kinds of deals. The American system is very, very disorganized, much more fractured. We also have a, a political system that is, you know, some would say it's entirely broken and dysfunctional right now, given the fact that House Republicans are basically doing everything they can to frustrate Obama on every front. So if he wants to move anything through the House or the Senate, it's going to be very difficult, Senate less so than the House. Okay, one area where the administration has more maneuverability is on the military side. Uh, and so one of the reasons why we see in places like Africa where the military takes the lead is because that's purely an executive branch uh, affair. Uh, it doesn't have as much oversight or interference from the legislative branch, from Congress. So I, I think that's why military affairs and, and the Pentagon gets to do more in places like that. But also take into account how military and Pentagon spending uh, doesn't get the same type of scrutiny that development and other types of spending gets because House Republicans generally favor military spending. We look at security issues as, you know, all expenses must be, you know, must be spared. No, actually, no, no expense must be spared. Let's go and spend whatever we need. So taking a look at Africa today, we look at military concerns in Nigeria with Boko Haram. We look at Libya falling apart. We look at our contributions in Mali. Certainly Egypt and what's going on in the border with Gaza and, and Israel is, is of concern. Then going all the way down into Djibouti, into that side, facing out onto the Gulf and the Gulf of Aden. So the whole kind of north, and, you know, into, through the Sahel, into, uh, through Ethiopia and Eritrea is of tremendous concern, not to mention Somalia. Uh, for the United States, Al-Qaeda in, in Maghreb, Al-Qaeda in general, the rise of, uh, of terrorist groups and whatnot. So that gets a really just a quick pass through the American political system, whereas the other issues like development doesn't get the same treatment. So I would think that he's going to emphasize security much more than he's going to emphasize development and business, even though the talking points will be business, because that is much more, I think, politically correct. But what actually gets done on the ground will probably be security. I have to say, I find that worrying because you know, if there's one thing that 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 we learned from from the last decade of of American war in in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, is that 
these these terrorist groups um terrorist groups that grow that grow from extreme poverty they tend to be very very difficult to you know to control you know kind of because because if there's nothing else for people to concentrate on um and and they feel very little power very little empowerment very little uh you know kind of agency in their lives then terrorism becomes a very logical option um especially if it's if it's you know religious religiously kind of connected terrorism um you know and and the us has had no no success with that you know kind of in, in places where they where they actually invested much more than they are in africa so the 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 increasing securitization of africa by by the us is, is worrying for me among other reasons because it tends to entrench uh you know un, unliberal illiberal governments because they they you know kind of eventually they just simply want someone a a a a stable government that they can work with and you know, it also, that's not going to disrupt their big expensive military base yeah and it can also distract uh, african governments from their key priorities so one of the issues that came up in in a documentary which we're going to talk about in a later show on al jazeera was how kenya you know deployed troops into somalia at the behest of the united states and in some ways that you know makes kenya's relationships in the region far more complex than it necessarily would have been without the pressure from the us uh, but also i think what's important is that if the United States, again, looks at Africa, the continent, through a security lens, it misses so much in terms of the economic growth and the parts and regions of Africa that aren't focused on security. So Rwanda does not have a terrorist threat right now. I mean, let's not get into, you know, the relationship with the DRC. But for the most part, there is not an al-Qaeda threat in that in, in, in the Great Lakes region and some other parts. So again, if, if U.S. thinking and U.S. energy is devoted to the security side, it's not vote, you know, devoted to fostering development uh, and, and, and the things that I think most African leaders want, which is economic empowerment. A couple of quick things before we go. Um, one person to keep your eye on is Senator uh, Christopher Coons, who's out of Delaware, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee on Africa. We've done a show on him, and if you do a search for Senator Christopher Coons, you'll come up with our, uh, with our analysis of, of what he's done. He is by far one of the best voices in, Af in Washington sounding the alarm saying America must get engaged to keep up with the Chinese and putting it in the context of the Chinese and saying we cannot just focus on security. We must get engaged in terms of uh, economic development, business development, infrastructure. Again, this is a competition with the Chinese in some senses, according to Christopher Kuhn's. Last kind of point that I want to bring up with you, Kobus is this question of legacy and the timing of this summit. Obama's been in office for six years. And one of the things that American presidents do on their way out is they're looking to build their legacy. And Africa becomes a very convenient tool to do that. Uh, Clinton launched the African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA, which, by the way, is up for renewal next year, and that's in 2015. And remember, that must go through a Congress that has done very little to support the president's uh, agenda. So let's not take it for granted that AGOA will actually get a renewal. Uh, also, one other very important point to take into account at this uh, right now is the Export-Import Bank. The United States has used the Export-Import Bank to great effect in Africa and other parts of the world to subsidize American business and to guarantee loans and whatnot. The Chinese use their Exim Bank uh, to incredible effect, billions of dollars. Uh, but ever since the defeat of Senate Majority Leader Eric Cantor in the House, 
um, who was a big advocate of, of the Export-Import Bank. House Republicans are going after the Export-Import Bank, and there's a good chance they may trim it back a lot. That will have a big effect on Africa. But going back to this question of legacy, Clinton launched a GOA. Bush launched a PEPFAR, which was the Presidential Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, $10 billion in AIDS Relief. That was his big, proud legacy in Africa. So I think in some ways, what another subtext here is Obama looking to Africa to establish his legacy. Um, how do you think people will look at that, uh, specifically in places like South Africa, where there was a lot of anticipation and hope that this child of Kenyan roots would, uh, would, would become a, a very favorable president for Africa? He has disappointed on that front. But now, two years before he's to leave office, all of a sudden, Africa becomes more important. What do you think your thought is on the legacy of, Clinton, of Obama I'm sorry, in Africa? I think in Africa, there's a lot of cynicism about that for ex- for exactly that reason, you know, kind of that that he he was perceived as this very Africa leaning president, um, and then he he proceeded to ignore Africa for a long time. Um, I think it, it, George Bush um, actually has a lot of. Is maybe the, the Africa is maybe the one place where George Bush actually has a pretty favorable, you know, kind of image, because uh, because of PEPFAR and because PEPFAR has really really did a lot to help, um, and it it really made uh, you know kind of HIV treatment much more affordable and much more available. Um, so I think in a way, um, you know, kind of the, that's not something one one says very often, but like Obama actually trails behind Bush. In, in terms of African engagement. It's really um, one of the only places in the world you'll ever yeah, hear that. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of the rare times you can actually say that. Um, and, um, yeah, so he... The electri- especially the, the stalling of the electrification bill, I think, doesn't look very good from an African perspective. And I think, generally, it... it Obama has just been slightly discounted in Africa. I think people are not really so necessarily so interested in him because he seems like a lame duck, um, and also because because you know Africans know that that he's facing a lot of of political paralysis um, in Washington, um, and meanwhile you know um, China keeps keeps kind of arriving with with Exxon bank money you know yeah, kind of yeah. so so i think generally you know kind of america has been slightly downgraded you know and the uh, i think in 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 the only place where where america is uh really occupies a, a very central focus is in the issue of security with this kind of worry that Amer- greater american involvement equals greater trouble you know, um, and that, that that it doesn't necessarily translate into peace, but it actually translates into just more militarization, which Africa is a little bit wary of, I think. And I think, uh, you know, you know, as the United States becomes a, a major, major oil and natural energy powerhouse in terms of natural gas, its own fracking and, 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 and carbon energy, it will need to rely on Africa much less. So I wonder if you're seeing a detachment in some ways of the United States and African interest. For the most part, Americans don't export much to Africa. We import a lot of African oil, uh, but that will go down. We know that will go down in in, in time. So security will become, I I think, the major connector between the two two continents. So that will be interesting to look at. Those are our anticipation or predictions, our kind of evaluation of what will come in the week of this U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. First time in Washington. I think it's fantastic as an American that finally at some level – Uh, The United States is getting engaged. It will be interesting to see what emerges as the dominant themes. Is it security? Is it development? Is it business? We don't know. We'll see.
see. Hopefully, Cobus is going to be working very, very hard in the next week to find us a guest in Washington to do yes. a post uh, <laughs> ra- a post event post summit analysis so we'll have that hopefully next week as well so we can compare you know uh, what we got right what we got wrong but we in the meantime would love to hear from you uh best way to do it is at facebook.com slash china africa project over two hundred thousand people now following us uh all week we're going to be posting uh news analysis updates on the summit uh, again in the context of china and and this is not a comparison or a competition for us. It's a contrast. It's an interesting, uh, compa- uh, you know, it's just an interesting context to put all of this in because the geopolitics are so complicated. So, but we just want to, I want to put out there that I'm not saying China's good, America's bad, America's good, China's bad. But it is in that context that I think a lot of African leaders and, and, and political officials are making some of their decisions about who they do business with. So we'll, we'll kind of post that. Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing and what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch? Um, you'll see my name on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Sadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. So uh, tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. Uh, we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening. 